Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. So what's so special about it, you may be asking? Well, as regular listeners may know, uh, discussions on this podcast are usually centred around a particular film, and it's not often that I take you on a deep dive into an actor's career. It's just the way the publicity machine works, and not everyone, particularly busy actors, have the time to sit for two hours talking about themselves With the recent announcement that actor Joel Jackson had been appointed uh, as an ambassador for Cinefest Oz Albany, I invited Joel to join an episode to discuss his career, which Joel jumped at. I've interviewed Joel a few times now on red carpets and for his work on Greg McLean's Jungle. I've also spent a bit of time with Joel at after parties and events, and I've always found him to be very warm and open, so I had no doubt listeners would get a lot out of this episode. Most of you will be familiar with Joel's work, The Albany-born actor and musician is celebrated for his acting on the big and small screen in projects like Peter Allen, Not the Boy Next Door, Deadline Gallipoli, Jungle, H is for Happiness, Mystery Road and I Met a Girl, as well as stage productions like Born Yesterday. Here, Joel discusses most of these projects, but he also gives us a fascinating insight into the mechanics of an actor working in Australia today. Joel also talks about growing up in WA and his passion for rural communities. Joel also talks about the hard truths and frustrations of being an actor, which some listeners will get a lot out of, especially if you're an up-and-coming actor yourself. As I mentioned earlier, Joel has recently become an ambassador for Cinefest Oz Albany, which will take place from the 28th of April until the 1st of May. You can find out more about that festival at cinefestoz.com.au. Anyway, enjoy. Joel Jackson, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, mate. And this is, uh, it's been a big week of chatting for you. So I'm looking forward to like, hopefully giving you a break and making it interesting. Yes. Uh, as I was saying to Joel before, uh, before we started chatting, uh, Joel's my fourth interview this week. Um, uh, but this one's a little bit different <laughs> for me because uh, usually I'm chatting to filmmakers or actors about a particular film that they're in and using it to kind of promote that film. But this one's going to be much more of a deep dive into into your career, which I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I fill a lot of my time with, you know, the, you know, the podcasts and things that you listen to and inspire yourself with is like the SAG after chats and um, IndieWire and all this beautiful kind of retrospective stuff. And then when I got the email, I was like, wait, do I no, I'm not getting started. Like, <laughs> but it, it's gonna be really cool because I think a lot has happened in the last nine or 10 years and especially the last two, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for anybody listening, who's either at that beginning stage or looking to rebuild or reboot, I think it, it, I'm definitely in that patch at the moment. So it's really interesting to talk about it. Oh, that's interesting to hear. Yeah. Um, b- before we do go back to the beginning, I want to start by talking about your recent appointment as a, a Cinefest Oz uh, Albany ambassador. Um, you've been attending the Bustleton Sydney Festivals for years. So what does it mean to you to become an ambassador of this incredible festival? Well, it's it's super special. I mean, look, it's the it was until recently, I think, because then Melbourne International Film Festival has the biggest film prize now. Well, I Melbourne's think. will be awarded to a worldwide audience, whereas Sydney Festivals oh, will still be awarded this... to an Australian audience. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it I stand yeah, I stand corrected. Yes. It is the it's the biggest film prize in Australia. And yeah. For it to be this beautiful kind of celebration that is in the Southwest where like it, it's so unique to that area. And I'm from Albany. I was born and raised there and family's been there for generations. And 
you know, went to cinemas there for the very first time. My mum was a projectionist at the Arana Cinemas before it was Arana um, with uh, Mr. Simikonowski. And I was best mates with his son, Oliver, who now is kind of part, partly running it with his, with Ron. Um, and it's really special to be involved in that place where the city has always been a city, but now it's the creativity and the artistry that is there that is seeped into that kind of soil. It's beautiful to be recognized as a part of that. Um, I mean, we're, we're artists and we're always searching for community and we travel like nomads to do what we need to kind of survive and to be able to tell our stories through experience and, and learning. But um, to, to have my home kind of put their hand up and be like, Hey man, we recognize you and we want you to help us make this possible. It's remarkably special. I mean, people like Tim Winton and, and others are idols to me and I'm not putting myself anywhere near them, but to know that my community and my artistic community um, wants me to stick around is, is pretty great. Yes, yeah, and I guess we should give our listeners some context here because they might be thinking, hang on, isn't Cinefestals in Bustleton? Um, so, so the Cinefestals Festival in Bustleton has been running for years and it attracts a worldwide audience uh, to Bustleton and the great southern region, but uh, they've now branched, branched out to Albany and included Cinefestals Albany. And from what I hear, they might be doing a Cinefestals broom as well, uh, which is quite yeah. exciting. Yeah, I heard that too, man. Yeah. And, and I think it's awesome because, again, like Broom has had the outdoor cinema, the open air cinema. And I, I was going there when I was a kid because we yes. lived then in Karatha. Mm. And, and, and like Brand New Day and all the art that's been coming out of there and the Pigram Brothers and, you know, Saltwater Cowboys and this kind of music scene that's there. Like, it's beautiful, man. Yeah. And yeah. The, the regions in WA, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll stop talking and we can do proper chats. But, no, no. like, I, I, I feel like WA is... Once it, we catch up with studios and our personnel have, uh, you know, by crews and cast and producers, writers and stuff like that, like people like um, Jamie Hamilton and Jabba and these amazing artists that create projects and Bunya Productions that are looking to, to make stuff happen in, in Western Australia. Once there's this influx of more, same as what's happening in Queensland, that landscape is going to explode and... I've always looked at it as the most cinematic place on earth because I grew up kind of in either in, in one extreme in, in, in the down South coast yeah. or up in the Northwest. And it's so beautiful. And you look at it on camera, Dylan Rivers catches it yes. extremely well. Yeah. Um, and you see, you just go, Oh man, that's beautiful. Like, yeah. why isn't there more of that on in, going internationally? Why isn't there more? And, you know, Mystery Road 2 went to Berlin Ali and represented us there and Hades for Happiness was there too. So um, it's th those things that are kind of crying out to be seen on a world scale. Yeah, and they're, they're magic places. Like The only way that you can describe these places is that they're magic. You feel an energy coming from these places. They're built yeah. for the arts. They're, you know, they're just, they're, yeah, they're such, a, such magic places. Well, you're damn right. Like they are built for the arts, but they've also been created by artists, you know, yes. like you can go out to, I mean, you go out to Dolphin Island, Dolphin Island at the back of the Dampier Archipelago where I grew up and there is, um, there's artwork in the stone that's been there for tens of thousands of years um, when that land was still connected to Australia, to the yes. mainland. Now they're islands, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, like there's places with corroborees where you can literally sink your elbow up to in, in middens, like, it's we've been telling stories on this land for for so damn long and it's um 
it's kind of cool to, to see that getting recognized, especially in Cinefest Albany with the Kinjalin Court and yes. and what they've done so well in, in Bustleton and Bunbury for years with yeah. um, the Indigenous days and, and celebrating the culture that is so like present and alive in those areas. Yeah, it's interesting to actually talk about that Indigenous side of it because your co-ambassador here is Carla Hart. Have you had a chance yeah. to, uh, to meet Carla yet or, or do you yeah. know much about her work? Yeah, we met uh, last year at Cinefest, um, which was a beautiful privilege just to kind of sit on as a fly on the wall in a couple of chats that she had and to see the impact that she has in her community, but also what she's trying to do to bridge the gap. Do yes. you know what I mean? Like yeah. growing up in Northwestern Australia and my dad worked as um, an Indigenous education officer uh, and travelled communities and regions as a primary school principal, bridging the gap between uh, regional and city educations. Yes. and. So he was kind of on the front line of those things and having, you know, conversations with me that I was way out of my depth when I was a kid. Yeah. But to now be a fly on the wall and see someone like Carla leading the charge and knowing that I can help out a little with my heritage as it is. I mean, mm. our heritage in our family is Noongar. Mm. Um, so the Southwest is very special to us, especially around the Tondra regions. Yes. Um, but Carla is formidable and she's such an artist and a creator, man. It's yeah, that she's phenomenal. So sharing this with her is really special. I just wish I could be there physically. Um, yes. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll be there in spirit. Big time. Yes, that's right. Um, uh, that's very interesting to learn about your father. I'm keen to know a little bit more about your parents and, uh, and, and growing up in Albany at the time. Yeah. So um, we've, we've been in Albany for, quite some time um a very long time back when you know you could have shacks back on middleton beach and yeah. um and chains beach and it was all burlap sacks like um, potato sacks and, and kangaroo hides and dad was showing me stuff at the farm over christmas um and when i was down there last with the Fremantle theater company doing the, the shakespeare tour yeah. and there was all these beautiful kangaroo hides that were from like his great great grandmother and great grandmother and this amazing stuff where um, we're really trying to reconnect now to our heritage, yes, um, which is really special. And, and dad's being welcomed, welcomed in by a bunch of elders and indigenous uh, leaders in the community down South, which is so good because I think someone, especially like my father, who is a primary school principal has been an education in the education uh, world since he was about 23 years old. Um, and has been all over the state uh, and has, you know, then received a scholarship to study in Harvard mm -hmm. as an education leader from Australia is, you know, 64, 65 years old and is only kind of just getting started at the peak of his performance mm -hmm. um, and chooses to live in a place like Karatha where he can be really involved with the local community and try to do his best. Um, yeah. I'm continuously in admiration of that guy. And my mum you know, like I was saying, she worked as the projectionist when I was a kid and would always bring home posters or paraphernalia. Like I remember having the poster for Unforgiven on my oh, wall yeah. as a kid and just being like, what's that movie about? <laughs> and it's now my favourite. I mean, Gene Hackman is is terrifying. Yeah. Um, and the the world that Clint Eastwood is able to create is just so beautiful. Um, but you know, she worked at a bank and then at the uh, wool mill and all these places, like they worked themselves to the bone when we were kids to, to give them, to give us opportunities. And I think, I think that's why my work ethic is, is so, um, 
I don't know. Some might see it as a bit pedantic and a bit over the top, but I think that's why I work so hard at what we do because I love it and I realize how lucky I am to be in it Um, because they've worked so hard, yeah. So they were both encouraging of you getting into the arts, I I imagine? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it was never a conversation in our house where it was like, you know, that's going to be financially stressful, son, or that might be really difficult. They were like, cool, good luck, sweet, we'll be there. Um, But, I mean, mum and I, we'd go out fishing when we were living in Karatha. We'd go out fishing first thing on a Saturday and a Sunday morning, catch a heap of squid and fish, and and that would do us for the week. But we'd also then, you know, kind of fillet it and prepare it, put it on this ice tray and take it up to the pubs and and raffle it off with the permission from the pub owners so that I could... Um, you know, we could buy flights for me to get to Canberra and Guernsey's and new footy boots so I could play state rep soccer and all this kind of stuff. Like they've they've forever been the biggest supporters of their kids just having the best crack at life. So, yeah. Um, yeah, very, very lucky. Oh, that's beautiful to hear. Um, I grew up in a small uh, country town uh, in WA and sport is so huge in those communities. Uh, it's almost like everyone's expected to get into sports and, and the arts are kind of an <laughs> afterthought. Um, uh, you know, for some people, sport is their entire life. Was sport something that interested you, obviously? It was. Yeah, man. I, 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 try, I remember trialling for, uh, for Swan District yes. in, in the Waffle and, and then kind of being like, getting the pre-selection and and going through it all and driving down from Karatha with dad and dad being like, look, mate, if you get this stuff, you'll be based down here and we'll try to put you up into like Wesley or something like this. And mm. so I got pre-selected into that. I stayed two nights at Wesley and was like, no, nah, I don't want to do this. Mm. Um, it, was just, it was just like having grown up with so many big wide open spaces. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do um, like a two meter square room with like 20 other dudes yes. it's just it was, it, and and it was just too much like it was way too much for somebody who finished school and, and went fishing you know yeah. um but yeah sport is is huge in our family yeah. i mean um dad played state basketball with uh i think it was luke longley before luke longley took off and became chicago bulls and yes yeah you know with the raiders down in albany which is yeah. also another massive connection to, yeah. to the area mm-hmm. um and and mum herself i mean Mum got MVP in the in the A grade netball in Karatha when she was like fifty five or something. Wow! <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. And both and had two aunties that played for the Diamonds in Australian netball, and two uncles play for Claremont. Like our family is built on, you know, the stats that you come home for Christmas with. Like, how'd you go this year? Did you get MVP? What'd you get? Oh, useless. You know, what are you doing this season? How many stats you get? Like, what's your position? Right? Yeah, cool. All right, cool. How fast can you run? But I mean, in, in saying that, when I switched to acting, my entire family, um, nobody ever kind of questioned it or doubted me or or anything. I, th- I think remarkably lucky to have a massive amount of pride um, from from my family and, and that sense of loyalty to whoever and whatever I was. Um, yeah, which, yeah, which has been fantastic well it is a sport in a way i guess it's quite competitive the industry <laughs> so competitive yeah and, and and it requires a lot of you you know mm-hmm. um same as like you have to be so disciplined and you yes. have to miss a lot of things yeah and sometimes you're off the other side of the world traveling and trying to get some work while when something at home happens and mm. um 
it's beautiful to have a family that supports me on that and kind of just lets it, you know, lets it run its course. Yes. Yeah. So how did you get involved in, in community theatre? Was, um, was it, yeah, how did you get involved in that? Um, to be honest, I can't, I can't really remember. I know that I liked it. I know that I liked, um, especially uh, during school holidays and, and getting to work with, with people just to create stuff out of thin air. Like I was always probably being a pain in the ass and, and, and getting up people and just being a loose unit and making characters and voices and making people laugh and, and all that kind of stuff that you always hear about performers just wanting attention. But there was something really lovely about being in a room with people who, you know, aside from the footy field or the soccer field or, or basketball, where like, you had to be elite. You had to be like a certain level of something. Yeah. But in theatre and in creating music or whatever, like you could, you could be anyone. Mm. Anyone was welcome, and it always made me feel more welcome than sport did. And not in that, that way that I was ever uncomfortable, but it just, I, like I, I wanted to be there because I was discovering other parts of myself that. I kind of didn't know existed mm. and that were like the other side of the coin that was more interesting mm. and more delicate and fragile and detailed. And, um, you know, it could create it once and it would never happen again. Mm. Or it, it wasn't just like a formulaic plan of training at, on a footy field. So um, yeah, it really astounded me and it really got me. And then when the more we started performing, especially up North, we were given so many opportunities because I mean, people always ask me in Sydney and Melbourne and it, and it really ups, not upsets me. It's just like, it's so stupid. Um, but, you know, where'd you go to school? I'm like, yeah. Karatha Senior High School, man. Like, <laughs> why is it relevant? Yeah. But um, the, the thing of like, people think you didn't get opportunities up there. We got so many opportunities growing up in the bush. Um, and, and what's more, we got exposed to so many things. Like, I remember playing in pubs when I was 15 or 16 and um, with the beautiful girls or like, Megan Washington or uh, Birds of Tokyo. Like we supported them when we were 16 and we were just loose kids. So we just kind of kept falling into these opportunities and they just kept adding up. Um, and, and somehow it, it, it took me to, you know, chatting to mom and dad and mom said, well, maybe audition for acting school. Mm. Um, and, and then it's all just kind of cannonballed from there. Like, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, it was kind of crazy to think about the stuff we did when we were kids up there. <laughs> you said something to me once a few years back, actually, uh, when I was interviewing you for Jungle. Um, I asked you what it was like to grow up in a town like Karatha as a kid with artistic aspirations. And you said to me that you never once thought that you were in a place of disadvantage. And that is honestly, nah. it's honestly stuck with me ever since you said that. And I try to tell people, uh, young people from the country, you know, don't look at it as a disadvantage. Take every opportunity that you have. Yeah. I, I mean, Tony Robbins says uh, a similar thing that is just like, don't think about the resources you have. Think about being resourceful. Like, yes, brilliant. You, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's on my wall, like just like resourcefulness. Just yes. You've just got to like go for it. And every opportunity is an opportunity. And I know that sounds really simple, but there was a great performer I was chatting to, Joel Quartermain, you know, who's bass guitarist for Eskimo Joe and an amazing songwriter, ARIA award winner and producer, just insanely talented, so humble. And he was working with me on my music. Um, and I was saying, you know, I'm sick of doing cover gigs. I'm sick of doing this. Like, I want to be 
able to step up and do an original show, you know, an hour or 45 minutes and go on tour and be a muso, you know? And he's like, well, you are a muso, you idiot. Like <laughs> you can perform for four hours with no sheet music at a pub. Like who can do that? Like mm. musical theater people don't perform for four hours straight, not mm. singing for four hours straight. Like yeah. they might do a song and then step off stage and come back and do a reprise. And mm. sure they work hard, but mm. he's like, you're performing. And as long as you're up playing music in front of people, use the opportunity to perform. Yes. And then one day those things will add up and just keep doing the work. I was like, oh yeah, cool. And it, it's not about the bells and whistles. It's about doing the thing. You know, you should always be attempting to do the thing without any want or need for some kind of outside verification or acknowledgement that you're on the right path. Like if it works for you, man, that works. Like just leave it at that. Yes, yeah. Uh, let's get into uh, talking about some Australian films here. That's what uh, this podcast Ooh, yes. and, and this website's all about. Um, I tell this story every chance I get because I get to talk about my dearly departed mum. Uh, but when I was younger, every Friday night was movie night for us. You know, we'd watch the Perth Wildcats, which, uh, believe it or not, was broadcast yeah. on Channel 10 during prime time. It, it was such no a way. big deal. Yeah, it used to be a big deal what, back then. What year was that? Oh, geez. Uh, it would have been like the <laughs> mid-90s, you know. It was. Uh, I remember oh, Wildcats being such a big deal. But um, after Shane that. Healy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after that, uh, we'd always put a movie on. And, and mum never shied away from renting Australian films when she went to the video shop. And I remember movies like, you know, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert and uh, Strictly Ballroom having such a huge impact on me at the time. Uh, I'm wondering what Australian films and filmmakers uh, impacted you growing up? Oh, awesome question. Um, <laughs> Peter Weir was just um, hit like Gallipoli, uh, especially because we grew up in, in the in the North. And I mean, that banter is still there. That yes. um, And that brotherly love that just, you know, I, I, I've got best friends that um, we, we don't necessarily see each other and haven't seen each other for five years yeah. and you walk in the room and nothing has changed. Yeah. And it's those characters and, and that kind of sense of connection. Um, so Peter Weir always kind of somehow captured and, and that mysticism of Australia too, you know, like the mysticism of just being able to rock up to somewhere and your whole life could change. Mm. Or, you know, he turns up for that event, he runs the race. Um, but then also with, picnic and and how beautiful and transcendent and magical the world is um those things are really special uh and then i remember watching wake in fright for the first time at nida and it was part of our like film studies and we had like three people walk out of the room and be like that's not my australia this is disgusting i'm like man that's my australia <laughs> like that's how i that's um so things like that that are hyper iconic of having played it a race meets when I was 15 or 16 years old and out in the middle of the bush and you'd be playing two up and people were like, what's that rope doing here? And it wouldn't be a rope. It's like a King Brown that's going <laughs> through the, you know, like just yeah. stuff like that. The people yeah. are like, that's insane. You're like, that happens so much more than you think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, Australian TV was, was big in our household because we'd come home from basketball or something like that. And um, and click in. And I had two older sisters that had their finger on the pulse. They were fantastic. I remember like my sister gave me my first ever CD that was probably mine. And it was 
uh, Queens of the Stone Age songs for the deaf, right. which I don't know if you know, but it's like yeah. super heavy. Yeah. Um, and it changed my life. And thank you, Lindsay, very much. Um, she, she was, she's crazy. I love her. Um, but we always greener with yes. Michaela Bannis and John Howard. Yeah. Man, the hilarity and Abe Forsyth. Yes. Um, who else was in that show? Who's the Helen? No, not Helen. Um, oh my god, I just can't remember her name right now. Right, oh, but she's terrible. In everything. And, yeah, and um, and Sigrid and mm. Tom and David Wenham in um, Sea Change. Yes, you know, like that yeah. was the TV that I grew up on, and yes. Round the Twist. Um, <laughs> those kind, like the wackiness of of our world, and yeah. and the brightness of it all, the beaches, and always greener, and you know, the fights that they were having were the fights that we were having in our household, and like Michaela was my sisters and i was i was this kind of awkward you know hyper creative kind of wacky little kid that was kind of like abe and stuff like that i have huge memories of and i remember then working with michaela recently for miss fisher and just yes. kind of being like waiting until the last day of shoot to be like i'm such a huge fan <laughs> I'm such a geek yeah. and you know she's married to toby Trustlove, and toby's yeah. been in the show for two years and i'm like Every time they come around for coffee or dinners, I'm like, be cool, be cool. But th those things, I, I saw a lot of ourselves on the TV when I was a kid growing up and I never watched Simpsons. I didn't see Seinfeld. I didn't, I didn't watch Friends. And I know those references more than I do some international thing because it never yes. made sense to me. Yeah. Like it, oh, it was never, yeah, it was never my thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I didn't start watching film until I was much much older right yeah. right uh, that's interesting that you mentioned wake in fright then it's definitely one of my favorite films uh, and i find it hard to believe when people do say that it's not an accurate representation of australia if anything it's more relevant today than it was back then totally i remember going for the the remake the tv oh, yeah. series Creve, yeah and i was so upset when i didn't get it um and still haven't watched it because i'm still upset um <laughs> I tend to do that. I tend, if I don't get something, I'm, I'm not much of that. So like, you lost out on, to man. you lost out to Sean Keenan there. I lost out to Sean and Sean. I remember my first audition was for Lockie Leonard. Oh right. I wasn't, I wasn't going for Lockie. I was just going for a kid. Yes. And because we were living in Albany, we were back at the time for a couple of months, taking care of one of the grandparents or something. And Mum was like, "Just do it." Mm. Um, and they made me improvise about a milkshake or something, and. They're walking out being like, that's weird. That's weird that people get paid to do that. That's yeah. weird. <laughs> um, that's really silly. And then one of our mates was the sheep wrangler on it for a couple of years. So I remember going to hang out on set one time and seeing Sean do his thing. And yes. I think yeah. Sean's a year, I don't know, maybe the same age, but um, yeah, he's a he's a wonderful actor. Um, oh, brilliant actor. Brilliant. Yeah. Watch him in anything. Yeah. Same, mate. I remember yeah. seeing you pop up in Power of the Dog recently. Yes, I know. Like, Man, you are in everything yeah. um it's good like yeah, yeah. uh we we had a great audition session um on a show recently that was beautiful to play around with um uh and that will probably you know never be talked about or seen or whatever but it was it was sick yeah. basically got, got told by the director just to forget the script and run and i just ran and yeah. um he was right there beside me and it wow. was wonderful um i was gonna say too somersault and Black yes. Balloon. Yes. Yeah. Um, I remember Somersault, like seeing Sam and just kind of going, yeah, that's that's kind of how it feels and, and kind of what a lot of younger guys are going through up here. Yeah. Like yeah. 
it was a beautiful account and and then to see kind of kate go off and do her thing now and be like yeah of course because you're such a good director like why wouldn't you be doing huge projects you're the best at what you do and you captured that vulnerability um but black balloon too like luke ford was brilliant oh he's so good Um, so another underrated he's another underrated actor who i'd love so to see underrated man yeah he's Me actually too. Like, yeah he's, he's an acting teacher now and i uh, think forget yeah. the teaching boy just get back into acting <laughs> it's such a difficult thing because we kind of don't reward momentum in australia yes to artists the same way that they do in the states or yes Europe, that's right. right like if yep. you're brilliant you get a great role you get another great role and you again astound people the, the whole kind of mechanism works around that thing of like, you're on a roll, let's keep the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Australia, it's kind of like, yeah, cool. Good work, man. Good yeah. work. Yes. Oh, we're going to look over here now. And you're yeah. like, oh, what? Um, <laughs> but maybe it's because the pool of talent is so small and the pool of productions is so small as mm-hmm. well. And they're always looking for outside influence too to get more eyes on the project. And there's a whole lot more going on, I think. But um, yeah. yeah, I remember Somersault. And his Macbeth, weirdly, because I'd never seen or or read the plays before going to Nidus. I remember picking the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow speech mm. and watching his Macbeth and being like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, that was my first experience of Shakespeare. Yes. Um, which was wacky. And then also <laughs> some of us, like the beautiful sensitivity of Jack Thompson and his physicality yeah. at the end and... Mm. Um, and seeing that reflection of my grandparents and um, their humor and their sensitivity that, you know, that was a beautiful reflection of our times. I think that movie is seminal Australian watching some of us with Russell Crowe and stuff. Yeah. You've mentioned some beautiful films there. Um, So you've spoken, obviously you've spoken quite a bit about Deadline Gallipoli, which was your first role. Um, And you starred in that opposite some, you know, giants of Australian cinema like Brian Brown and Rachel Griffiths. Um, But I'm keen to know about your uh, experiences auditioning and preparing for your auditions to get that role. Um, Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I was, uh, I just graduated NIDA. And when I was at NIDA, I was coming home pretty much the day after school finished. So we'd have a big after party and and hoo-ha and say goodbye to everybody. And then I'd go home early, get up early, get on the plane, fly back to Caratha. And then the next day I'd be out on the mine sites at like Cape Lambert or Dampier Salt or, you know, and that would pay for my tuition for the year. I'd work like seven days a week and then play three gigs on the weekends and just do whatever was around and, and teach or do whatever. Um, and that would pay for my entire year because I'd, refused to work while I was at night. I just, because it was like, I have to commit to this. Yes. Um, and so I went home. I remember I was working up at Dampier Salt on the port, putting in new handrailings or something and got an email and a call from uh, my agents. And they're like, Hey, this really exciting thing. Everyone's going to be in it because it's pretty much like a young story about, you know, a young Australia hundredth anniversary of, of Anzac day. I was like, Oh, amazing. I love Charles Bean. Yes. I wrote an essay on Charles Bean when I was like, 15 or 16 at high school and actually won a state competition to then be sent to Gallipoli Unreal. Uh, on. Yeah, man. Yeah. On that, like I know all about him. I knew yeah. all about him before we even started auditioning and before yeah. I knew it was even about him. I was yep. like, Oh, I hope it's for Charles Bean. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'd written this thing on him and won it. And then the funding fell through and I never got to go. And I got home with my emails and it was just a two page scene from a doctor checking to see if someone had to clap with like mm. a wooden spoon and, mm. It's like, oh, okay. And I saw the writing credits and it was Sean Grant. And I yeah. just met Sean 
recently through a mutual friend and was like, man, we hit it off because I loved his writing. We spoke about Australian cinema, same yeah. as this. I was yes. like, oh, cool. <laughs> if you've got any notes for this scene, you know? So I call him up. I'm like, hey, man, how you going? He's like, yeah, good. What's up? How you going? It's like, oh, sorry, Sean. Um, so I've got this scene for this deadline Gallipoli. He's like, oh, yeah, cool. What's it for? I'm like, oh, doctor. He's like, okay. I was like, yeah, like any notes for the scene? Like it's just this scene where I've got to check if he's got the clap and send him on his way. And remember Sean being super genial and being like, yeah, I think he's just maybe trying to do his job. And um, I was like, okay, mm-hmm, great, cool, cool, cool. Anything else? And like, he still tells the story because he's like beautiful young kid, Joel, just being like, hey, mate, uh, any ideas? Um, and so I, I kind of threw down that test with my mum and dad at home. Mum was reading with me and she's quizzing me about like, should I sound like an 18 year old kid? Cause it's written as a young soldier. I'm like, just read the thing. And we had the tripod mixed up on like a, all these like lobster crates and then a milk crate and then like a tea towel. Cause we didn't have a tripod and dad's pressing that. And every time he'd press record, he'd then go. And you're like, you can't do that, mate. You can't do that. You got to be silent. Yeah. Um, and so we did that. I, I kind of didn't think anything of it. It was my first real self tape out of school. Um, and I didn't hear anything for about three months and then came home to Sydney was working as a landscaper at UNSW and got a phone call from Sean and he was like, you cheeky little, I won't swear. Um, (laughs) But he was like, how'd you do that? I'm like, what? And he goes, well, you're coming back in for another character. They saw your doctor test. I just saw it. It Yeah, it was okay. Kid, I'm not going to like blow smoke up your butt, but yeah, yeah, okay. You're doing the right thing. I was like, oh, great. And so that went on. Like we kept, I kept coming in for different characters. Mm. Um, And Greg Apps, who was casting at the time, um, was really working with me to just to be like, we like you. We don't know where you're going to fit though. Like if you can't fit, then we can't have you, but we don't want to shape you into anything. Like you've got something and it's something's going right here for you. So just keep exploring. Mm-hmm. And I remember him coaching me through a, a bunch of stuff. Um, just being like, ignore the text now, you know, it. ignore it. Just, just launch into it. Um, and so I kept auditioning for different things. I'm not going to say certain roles because I, yes. I hate it when people do that and yeah. whatever. Um, but I then got the call to come in for Charles Bean mm. and got the full script. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look at this breadth and width of the story, you know. Um, and that I went must in. have been so exciting for you. This is this guy who you admired and you had written about. Yeah. And, you know, at the time... I was huge. Like I was about 98 kilos of just like young muscle, just wow. thinking that I had to go to Hollywood and be this huge kind of jacked up thing. It's, it's really weird the perception that young men have about like what we should be for the industry rather yes. than being like <laughs> a malleable asset. You know, yeah. I'm like, I've got to be massive to be in Hollywood. <laughs> um, and Charles Bean was most definitely not that big. Mm. And I remember hearing someone's name who was going for it as well and going, he's perfect. Like he's so intelligent. He's the right age. I mean, I was only 22. 21 when i was auditioning Mm. charles bean was easily 35 yeah um and so i just kept trying my best and i didn't try to impress anybody i just kept trying to do the work that was in front of me that was on the page and i remember getting the call to come in for charles and i just gotten back from like seeing queens of the stone age and nine inch nails in in newcastle with my best mate yeah 
and I was staying at his house and it was like the Sunday, you got to come in on the Monday. I was like, oh my God, what? Um, it was Monday afternoon. I got the sides, I printed them off and I just walked for about four hours in his backyard with his dogs, mm. learning the lines and and kind of messing around with it all. And, and just knowing like, look, I've come this far. I've really got nothing left to lose. I'm up against some big hitters. Let's just have some fun. And the morning of the Monday, I raced into NIDA and Robin, oh my God, her last name, Robin, who was the beautiful costumer at NIDA, um, I'd called her on the Sunday uh, cheekily, got her number off of NIDA through someone in the admin and convinced her to give me a pair of glasses. Oh, yeah. And went in, picked them up. She was like, don't you break these, but like Joel Jackson, <laughs> don't you break? I swear to God. And I was like, I won't, I won't, I won't, I swear. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Um, and I went in and I remember walking in and there was Sam Worthington and that floored me. Penny Chapman was there and that ruined me because mm. I'm a huge fan of Penny Chapman. Mm. Um, and I remember just putting into flight all the lessons that Greg had kind of given me. Like mm. they want you to succeed on the other yes. side of that table. Yeah. Like you've proven your worth and you've got nothing left to lose. And, and all you can do is not walk out on yourself and give mm. the best job. And I remember doing a ton of, not that I suggest this to anybody, like don't go in and improv the whole thing. But at the end of the scene, when it was kind of just hanging there in the moment, I just went off in this big improv thing. And, mm. and luckily for the props that I had, I could kind of go for all these things. And I remember hearing stories about what Sam Worthington had done in his casting for Avatar mm. to James Cameron. And I remember thinking, well, if I can do a similar thing like that and not be, you know, as offensive, I don't know if it's true, um, but maybe that'll get his attention and mm. shock him into something where he can respond to me as actor. And yeah. I remember it being my first experience of like, I reached out of myself to really affect another actor. Yeah. And it really got him started. And we went off and did this, you know, a scene that was added on to the end of the scene that was a total improv. Yeah. Um, and you could see him kind of at the end of the day being really lit up by it, going, cool, I can play with this kid. Yeah. Um, this is great. And Penny Chapman had this huge smile on her face and I remember leaving the room and just going downstairs. And that was when Greg Apps was still on Oxford Street. And I just remember sitting on the curb and like calling my old man and being like, you know, the sport, the sportsman and us came out. And I was like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I've got the MVP, but man, I tried my best. Like you don't know what your points are at the end of the day, but mm. all you can do is do your best. I mean, that's a very vague storytelling, I think. But um, yeah, it was long and arduous. And then I remember losing a lot of weight. Mm. I lost so much weight and went down and had my first dinner with Penny and the crew in Adelaide. And Penny was like... <laughs> Okay, so we need to really feed you up. I was like, really? She's like, yeah. <laughs> you went way too. Like, I remember going down to like 78 kilos or something. Mm. Um, and because of that, I was there early to, to go over our typewriters. And um, once Aaron Glennon and I were, were picked and we're in the roles, we went down to the War Memorial a bunch of times and reached out to Ashley Ekins, who was a war historian and is our as our probably our, our greatest war historian that's at the memorial now. And he showed us, you know, Bean's diaries and gave me copies of Bean's, digital copies of Bean's diaries. And I read every every page of his diaries. I learned how to write like him. I still, my wires are still Charles Bean's wires. Wow. Um, I spoke to his family members. I had so much insight and, and research into this 
man and and knew so much about Gallipoli already having you know our family is steeped in Anzac history Mm. um but to have that chance to step into a world where you know Brian Walsh and the Foxtel team and Penny Chapman and the Matchbox Pictures teams were creating such an expensive playground for a young idiot to just kind of fall (laughs) it was incredible and then I'll bet working with Hugh Dancy and Charles Dance and Charles Dance is taking you to dinner for your birthday. And on your birthday, you've got a scene with Hugh Dancy and Sam Worthington where we don't say anything. We just sit yeah. around a campfire. Yeah. And I, I do a physical action where like Sam looks over and goes, Oh, you bastard. That was good. That was good. Are we doing one more? And they're like, no, that's it. And he's like, Oh, you bastard. I was going to steal that. Like <laughs> memories that you're like, wow, I actually, and, and Brian Brown physically, in a scene like pummeling through me and with very good humor and, and, and for, for the sake of a lesson, I mean, I was only 22 and for the sake of a lesson being like, if you don't stop me, I'm going to go through you. Like, yes. This is the point of the scene, mate. Like stop me. Yeah. And I, I like, you know, getting the, the actor nom and the logie nom and the recognition from that thing. It's like, it's, it's not mine. It's, all of these amazing mentors that I had on set where something would happen and an older actor would kind of lean on you. And then Hugh Dancy would be like, how just stop, just stop the role. Joel, can you come over here? And he'd like walk me over somewhere quiet and be like, no actor can ever tell you what to do. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm like, mm. well, he's kind of giving me guidance. He's like, shut up. No actor tells you what to do. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not their job. That's yeah. your director's job. Do you mm. understand me? I'm like, mm. okay, cool. He's like, okay, cool. We're ready. And you go back in and someone tells you again, you're like, thanks, mate. I got it. Yes. And you're yeah. standing up to these titans. You're like, yeah. I'm really terrified. <laughs> um, but, and in saying that too, like, you know, working with the collection that was Luke Ford, Benedict Hardy, Aaron Glenane, um, oh my God, not, um, oh, um, absolute superstars of our small and silver screens mm. who have been in the industry for, for ages. Yeah. And, like no one once questioned the junior kid who was leading the show. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. James yeah. Fraser as well. He's been in yeah. TV since December boys and mm. no one ever once was like, why are you here? Mm. Fiona press makeup artist extraordinaire who just like would close the trailer and only have me in there on mornings when I was really struggling and just help me just talk mm. to me and mm. be like, this is what's going to happen. Chris Webb, the first AD, sitting me down for like a week straight and letting me come to set and just explain how a day on set works, man. Mm, like, mm, mm. Oh, so gracious. Like, <laughs> who does that? Yeah. And it's our industry, you know? Like, mm. so I'm really passionate about it. Sorry. What I'm a talking. wonderful, positive experience it sounds like that that was for you. It's, it's great to yeah. hear. Um, it's beautiful, man. So next up for you following that was um, Peter Allen, the boy from Oz, and, and uh, sorry, <laughs> not the boy next door. Um, and yeah. you, you won the actor award for best lead actor for that. And you also won the Logie for most outstanding newcomer. Um, mm. How were you dealing with all of that at the time? You know, winning these big awards uh, for your second role. How, it was how kind difficult of... was it to stay humble and grounded? Oh, not difficult at all, man. I was living in a share house of like six boys, all my best mates. <laughs> and I remember learning how to tap dance in the shed while they were outside having beers. Like, you know, oh, yeah. like, yeah. so you'd be sitting there with a metronome because they didn't have necessarily like a dance teacher until we got to pre-production. Um, and then only then we had like a week and a half or two weeks, you know. Yeah. And even then they had somebody else singing the songs. Yes. I'm like, you know that I can sing, right? <laughs> like, really? Like, yeah, I can. I'll show you. I've been learning all of his songs. Listen, and 
that backflipping and Sean Seat going, oh, okay, cool. And so you'd be doing the dancing and the singing together. And I mean, but back to the humility stuff, like um, it's, it's interesting because I remember getting them and um, I was walking back into the auditorium at the actors as I was calling mum, like holding the thing in my hand, being like, mom, I got it. She's like, I'm so proud of you, mate. And Philip Noyce walked past and was like, well done, mate. They were beautiful oh. performances. I was like, cheers, mate. Holy <laughs> it's Philip Noyce. I'm like, thanks. Um, my mom's like, who was that? I'm like, Philip Noyce. She's like, Philip Noyce. I was like, I know. She's like, but nothing changes. Yes. Nothing changes. Mm. I was like, yeah, I know. She's like, no, no, mate. Look, nothing changes. Um, and I was like, yeah. Okay, cool. And that's always the way that we've we've been raised. And and like as I said, remember getting those awards and like I think we stayed at the Star that night. Maybe I can't remember. And then um, going back home to like a house of five mates and being like, ah, yep, still got them up the floors. Yeah, um, yeah, unreal. So I, like, and I wanted that. I didn't yeah. want. I mean, I know I knew and I know how difficult our industry is yeah. and how challenging it can be. And every chance I took, I mean, we were all musicians and artists and creatives. So I was saving money there while I could because rent was so cheap and I was always playing music and yeah. talking about scripts. And my best mates would always read the scripts. Like Joel Pearson has read everything I've ever been in. And he's, yeah. you know, he's my best mate. He's not an actor. He's a sound engineer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those are some of the most kind of, um, important conversations I've ever had about yeah. making choices in what I do um, yeah. is with that guy mm-hmm. um, who has no problem cutting me down to size. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's always good to have remember, those friends in your life. Yeah. And I remember yeah. coming home once uh, I sent them to mum cause I didn't display them. I put them in a cardboard box and put them in the roof of the shed um, because it was that idea of like, I know that I did great work and I yeah. worked with great people. I don't need to see that every day. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. And so they disappeared. And then I remember sending them to mom and I came home for Christmas one year and was like, where are the things? She's like, huh? <laughs> I was like, the, you know, the Logan and the actor. She's like, oh, uh, ooh, good question. I was like, what? What do you mean? Good question. Like, I know I've seen she a sold photo them of Lisa on eBay. Yeah, like I've seen a photo of Lisa McCune's and she uses it as a toilet roll or whatever. And I was like, please don't tell me you did that. A toilet roll holder. And I remember then like peeking behind the photos of the grandkids on the TV cabinet and yeah. they'd become like, they became the frame to hold up the the photos, the school yes. photos of the grandkids. Yeah. yeah. I was like, well, that's beautiful. Like, oh, that's lovely. Yeah. That's great. You yeah. know, and, and, um, but, it's it has been tough in terms of personal expectations. I mean, humility. I've, I've always tried to practice it, but personal expectations is when you get those things for the first two things that you ever do, mm-hmm. and you don't understand within the industry that those roles are extremely lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, like there is so much inside of those productions that make them remarkable, mm-hmm. and that doesn't happen all the time. Yes. And so the difficult thing then moving forward as a younger actor who's not experienced within the kind of chemistry of the industry is understanding that not everything is going to be that. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes, you know, you play your role and you do the best thing that you can. And um, I've been lucky enough to be involved with projects that have won international Emmys and, yeah. and gone on to win film festivals and, mm-hmm. and whatever, but you're just there to do your bit. That's right. And, yeah. and That's a good, great lesson good, for, yeah. 
Yeah, like, and it's, but it's still difficult to be like, you know, whenever you read a script, you're like, oh, yeah, this could be another one. You're like, don't. <laughs> don't think put, like that. <laughs> don't put, yeah, don't put the sportsman inside the creativity because it's yes. not the same realm. You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or cinemaaustralia.com.au. Uh, yeah. While I was researching for this interview, I, I read and watched quite a few of your previous interviews. Uh, one thing that I noticed is how you're always crediting writers of projects and you quite often say that a particular writer is your favourite or that you admired the writing of a particular script. Uh, mm. So what do you look for in a script and, and a script writer when choosing a project? Um, and by and the I, way, it's I, great that you credit the writer because writers deserve all the credit they can get. Oh man, we all we do is literally like I, I try to explain it when I do do teaching um, or masterclasses or whatever. It's like you are literally just you are taking black and white and turning it into color. But mm. without the black and white, there's nothing. Like you don't exist. You don't exist without the potential that's on that script. Yeah. Um, and the great Kevin Jackson, who was my first acting teacher, is like the script is God, yeah. um, and the writer is God. So. You know, they've worked for years before you get your chance to put your filthy mutts on it for <laughs> mitts for like, you know, three months. And you're like, oh, I know better. And you're like, no, you don't, mate. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. Um, so I think when I'm looking at stuff, I, uh, you know, and my favorite writers are Sam Shepard and Jack Kerouac and um, uh, my God, my God, uh, Waiting for Goddard, Samuel Beckett. Yes. Um, things like that where they are strangely poetic but innately human mm. and, and give you this chance to like invest every fiber of your being. I, and, and that's the beautiful difficulty about something like Ms. Fishes, where it's like exposition meets the challenge of creating a character that's relatable, seeable, understandable in, you know, the 10 seconds you get to be James Steed before he's detective James Steeds for two, no, two minutes. Yes. It's, it's, that's a really great challenge. And I love that. Um, and that's why I wanted to do that because it was a long running thing and I could learn that process. Um, but when I'm really making choices about if, if I'm going to launch into it and when you know that when you're reading a script, you're like, oh, this is mine and you can taste it and there's like blood in the water and you're just like, this is exciting is, is when it is, poetic and when you can feel that someone's actually trying to figure something out and you can you can hear that they've been throwing stuff at the wall like it's like you're in the room next to them i remember mike kerr who's one of my favorite musicians who plays for royal blood and and they're insanely talented band is that he writes music right and he produces it and creates it in his home studio and then he puts a filter on it as though it's in the room next door, like it's a party and he's on the outside of the door. And if it sounds like something that he wants to be in, (laughs) like he feels like he's missing out, he's got it right. Yeah, yeah. Which is such a cool idea. That's a great way of looking at it. I love it. And, and, you know, there's a great podcast called uh, Tape Notes, if anyone wants to listen to that interview. But um, to me, that's that's what it feels like. If I'm reading something that feels like it's tapping kind of like onto my chest and, Mm. and, and, is getting to something deeper than me just being like, yeah, I can see myself in those clothes. Like I, I want to express those things Mm. and I need to tell that story. That's to me, like I need to do that. I remember doing, I met a girl and Glenn Dolman, who's such a good writer. Mm. Um, 
but you know, he'd been working on that for 10 years and he came to set every day and we'd have huge chats. And I was so grateful to be able to fly on the wall for, for, for his process, but that idea of caring for someone mm. and, you know, in our family, we had a lot of instances of people caring for parents, um, family members, for their children, and and seeing that firsthand and understanding the the fine line of life and, mm. and actual like servitude. Like I I wanted to tell that story, and and it just so happened that during the filming of that, we lost um, my mum's mum and my dad's dad right. within like three weeks of each other, and it became for the first time ever, like this beautiful chance to, I'd never seen acting as therapy or as a form as, form as real true self-expression until that project. And I remember having massive conversations with Glenn about it. And he's like, that's your gift. It's like, although life's really tough and, and that's the kind of beauty is that you pour yourself into them and then you kind of have to let that boat sail. Mm. Um, and so if I can see that someone's poured themselves in yeah. and I, I can kind of taste it or smell it and I can think that I might be able to add to that color and yeah. add to their flavor while respecting their work, I, I, I want to do it. And that's why it's really upsetting when you don't get something. And that's why I'm <laughs> yes. always yeah. like, well, I don't want to see it now because yeah. I, I wanted to add my flavor. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to see it without my flavor. You know what mm. I mean? Like, mm. so, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned I Met a Girl there, and I do want to talk about that in a moment. But uh, before we do get into I Met a Girl, I want to ask you a bit about uh, Jungle because this was your first feature film role and you got the opportunity yeah. to work with the great Greg McLean, who's arguably you know one of Australia's most exciting filmmakers. Uh, can you tell yeah. us a bit about that experience of working with Greg and, and were you a fan of the Wolf Creek series before going into this? Yeah, I mean, there was only the film, the first film out at yeah, that so, time. Yeah, probably the first or um, second film by that time, yeah. Yeah, and but I'd also seen other stuff that he'd done and um, I remember, because I'd, I'd lived in Brazil for a year and yes. I'd, been to the, I'd been to the Amazon and, mm. you know, I'd been in the Amazon for two and a half weeks and yeah. met tribes and, you know, went out and caught caimans by hand and swam with the pink dolphins and caught piranhas, like all this wacky stuff. <laughs> um and spoke Brazilian Portuguese, still do, and, and was like, I need to do this film. I remember reading it when I first was playing Charles Bean because I asked management to send me film scripts so I could understand how structure worked because right, I'd never right. seen TV scripts, right? Y yeah. I'd only just seen plays. And I was like, I don't know what the structure is. Like, I don't know what those things mean. I need yeah. to see more and just read a bunch. And so they sent through all these scripts. I remember reading Jungle and going, I'm, I need to play Marcus. Like, that's, I can, that's, yeah. Wow. I know. Like I get that. Um, and I can do that. And I remember calling and being like, has that been cast? Are they doing it? Like, yeah, it's been cast. And I remember it was with it. It was with the brothers, the two brothers, the twins that direct. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. Cause it right? was quite a and while so before. Yeah. They've been three times, three yeah. times this film had been greenlit was yeah. going to run. Yes. Um, and then um, I remember badgering and badgering and badgering and trying to find out more. And I found out who was cast and was like, Oh, yeah, that's good. They could crush it too. They're really good. Um, and then I remember working on Peter Allen and the writer, Justin Monjo had written the second episode of Peter Allen. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so I, on the rap day of Peter, I walked straight up to Justin and was like, when are they making jungle? He's like, <laughs> actually it's moved production houses and we've lost this cast member. I was like, you're kidding. And that was the guy who was playing Marcus. I was right. Like, oh, no way. So when I was in LA, probably a year and a half later, I remember going to the production office of Arclight, 
probably like five days in a row with no meeting schedule, just being like, oh, I'm here to see Michael Bradley. <laughs> like, what about like for jungle? I'm like what? It's like, yeah, I'm here to see him for Marcus Stam. He's like, no, mate, no. And never got the meeting or whatever. And then I remember getting home, doing a self tape. Um, me and my buddy, Jack Ellis did one take each. Well, not sorry. We did one take of the scene and mm. we're like, look, that's, let's leave it at that, man. Like, mm -hmm whatever and sent it across greg saw it and greg immediately went that's my guy wow awesome um yeah and championed me and mm. same as sean seat with peter allen like saw yes. it went that's my guy and yeah. championed me and so working with greg was hilarious because he's so funny yes and so relentlessly like searching for stuff and, and zany <laughs> and really connected and, yes. and can be really intense yeah but then also be like uh don't take it seriously mm. like mm. It's just, we're just making a movie. Who cares? Yes. Yeah. But so you'd be sitting there with like this huge collection of extras and all this stuff at like two o'clock in the morning doing this yeah. beautiful scene. Yeah. And you'd try to do this thing for Daniel and, you know, do this beautiful work. And, and you just see this like giggling that then it turned into like a raquous laugh. And you're like <laughs> looking and Greg would lean out from behind the monitor and be like, oh, that's great. Hey, let's never do it like that again. Okay. <laughs> and you're like, you but so um <laughs> but but in saying that like he taught me so much about respect for myself and yeah. standing on my two feet again working with giants like mm. thomas kretschmann and daniel radcliffe alex russell now in his own right yes. um but thomas i remember listening to thomas <laughs> who was mad certifiably mad and is still a really good friend um he has a piece of the berlin wall at the front of his house in la like wow. what yeah insane um <laughs> But he, uh, I remember him saying something about my eyes. He was like, because he called me son and I yeah. called him, um, he's like, Spatzel and Papa. There's just an onset joke that we had that went for way too long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he was like, hey, Spatzel. I'm like, what? He goes, stop moving your eyes. I'm like, what? He's like, your eyes, you have to stop moving them. He's yeah. like, imagine, you know, Greg has this tiny little thing that's the size of an iPhone and that's mm. your face, right? Mm. But then in the movie, your eye is like three meters. So yes. why are you moving yeah. your eyes so much? I'm like, oh, good point. He's like, yeah. So blink less, move less. Yeah. Huh? I'm like, great. Awesome. Like, And every time I do a scene and be really pedantic, he'd just stare at me and like shake his head. I'm like, no. <laughs> and it was great. And Daniel, you know, Daniel would come and knock on my door at two o'clock in the morning. He'd be like, can mm. we run lines? I'm like, mm. man, of course. And yeah. it wasn't the scenes I was in. And I mean, he broke the fourth wall immediately when we did our first read through, like came in and was like, Joel, man, I saw uh, Peter Allen. Like I saw one of the episodes. I was like, you saw Peter Allen? He's like, yeah, man, you're great. I was like, oh, thanks, man. And and I remember seeing like the Rolling Stones in Bogota with him like two days before we started shooting. And that, that film encapsulates so much about what I hope to do with the rest of my life. And Stefan Giuscio, who's now, you know, killing it as a cinematographer and seeing him put himself on the line to get shots that mm. wouldn't have otherwise occurred if not for him being neck deep with our one camera on his back. Yes. Yeah. And if we lose the camera, we lose the film. Like, <laughs> but he's willing to get that shot. Yeah. And the scope of that was, was beautiful. So that made me fall in love with wanting to do films on scale. Yeah. Like Deadline Gallipoli had. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to that opportunity again. You know, yeah. And Greg is 
Greg is exceeding, 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 and to work with him again is it would be a dream. Yeah, uh, I've, I've met Greg a few times and interviewed him, and he's such a he's such a sweet guy, and he's got this cheekiness about him, and he always he's looks so like he he wants to cause a little bit of chaos every now and then. Um, Total met- chaos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and but it's beautiful. Like that's the that's the thing, you know. Yeah. Like that's everyone everyone who ever worked with it's successful and and continues to work has mm. their kind of like. I mean, there's a Japanese, they're, they're kami, mm. you know, which is their spirit that lives inside of them that comes from the outside world. And yes. I love that idea, that, that the idea of like my kami, when we're trying to figure out like people go like, what kind of animal are you? And I'm like, I think I'm Tigger. <laughs> like, I don't think I'm an animal. I think yeah. I'm just Tigger. tigger. <laughs> like, just this like, hey, what's up? Um, who then ultimately has like big moments of like, oh, I wonder... I wonder what's really out there. And that's my thing. And, yeah. and I think it's beautiful when you work with those people that you can see their spirit on the outside of their, mm-hmm. or their body and, and it leads the charge. I think yes. he, he never stops playing. He's a big no. kid and mm. that's what's mm. exciting about his movies. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, so following Jungle, you uh, did a film that I consider to be one of the best Australian films so far this century, which is H's for happiness. Uh, absolutely oh, yeah. amazing film. Incredible. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and then after that you did, uh, I met a girl, which is what I want to talk about now. Uh, it was produced mm. by a label distribution and, and sold to Netflix, which can sometimes be both a blessing and a curse because Netflix tends to bury the films that don't attract eyeballs immediately. Um, and yeah. I, I feel like it was criminally underseen that film, and, and I wish more people saw it. Uh, so, uh, for our listeners who who haven't seen the film, can you tell us a bit about it and uh, and the role you play? Yeah, um, it's a it's a beautiful film. That's uh, the the partnership of Glenn Dolman, Adam Dolman, and Luke Eve. So, mm-hmm. Glenn, writer, his brother Adam, producer, Luke Eve, director and mm-hmm. producer. Um, have made a bunch of beautiful TV series about mental health. Um, I think Odessa Young was in one uh, and she absolutely killed it. Uh, And they've they've been seen worldwide and they're absolutely beautiful, Mm -hmm. but they depict it in a fantastic way with cinema, but also with truth and with really brave storytelling and brave acting. Um, But our film, I Met a Girl, is about uh, two brothers, Nick and Devon, uh, Devon is living with paranoid schizophrenia. Nick is his primary carer, but is also expecting his first child with the, his wonderful wife, played by Zara Newman. And so, in that, we are as a couple looking to, ex, you know, have our bit of space and get Devon independent and make sure that he's okay. We're not pushing him out of the family, but we want him to be okay. We want him to also have our own space to raise a family and to do those things. You know, parents are getting older. And, and this is, you know, this happens all, all the time and, and in everyday Australian households and, yes. um, and inside my family. And so it was something that I immediately wanted to be a part of. And, and knowing that Brenton was going to be playing Devon was really exciting because he is so excitable. He is full of verve. Um, and, and Zara Newman is a powerhouse, man. Like <laughs> you better come to set with your A game because she will eat you up. Like there, there's a, there's a, you know, like a, a dark place reserved in hell for the person that disappoints her on a film set. Like, man, she is great at what she does. And I love working with her. Um, but the, the film follows Devon then going out on a bit of an adventure and a limb when he discovers his beautiful girl, Lily mm. and falls immediately in love with her after 
trying to end his life. Yeah. Um, she saves him, but because of his paranoid schizophrenia, he can't verify if she's real or not. Mm. But in the last ditch attempt to kind of trust himself in this big, bad world, he follows his heart and follows her all the way to Sydney to see if she is real. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to give away the ending no, <laughs> um, because it's too beautiful. But yeah. inside of that, there's, you know, Glenn wrote these scenes. And I think, I think too, I mean, some stuff is so hard to, to deal with once you see a film made and, and, and recognised and, and finished and whatever. But for it to be on Netflix is great. I mean, I know that Brenton has a massive following on Netflix because yes. of DC Titans. Yes. So that helps get it seen. Mm-hmm. Um I know it connected to like an international audience because yes. of that, which is great, but yeah. the local audience really didn't get a great chance to see it. I, yeah. I hope that if you are listening and if you want to check it out, please do check it out. It's if you've seen any of my stuff and you like it, you will love this. Like Nick is a beautiful character yeah. um, made possible by Glenn. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's stuff in that that I remember watching it back and Luke gave me a big phone call before we watched it and being like, um, don't be disappointed, but also understand this is kind of maybe going to be a big lesson for you in um, uh, it, just in terms of like the films that you do and, and understanding what can happen in an edit. And I was like, that doesn't uh, sound good, Luke. Yeah. It doesn't sound good at all. Yeah. Um, because I loved it because there were some beautiful scenes between myself and Zara. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of those got cut. Like, mm. and, and, you know, we'd lost maybe a third or a half of the scene in some instances. Wow. wow. And I love Luke and I'm speaking honestly about this stuff because I want other actors to know that like yes. when you consider projects, like consider the fact that something could be totally cut. Yes. Like would you still do it if mm-hmm. this moment didn't exist? Yeah. Um, and I remember watching it going, what? And Zara and I were watching it together. We both walked out and looked at each other like, wow. Okay. Um, but it was a wonderful lesson in terms of being like, at the end of the day, the film, some films can only have one protagonist. Yes. And you have to serve the story and the story yeah. is God. And yeah. ultimately yeah. you're just playing your part. Yeah. Um, so I remember, especially when making a decision about, um, I was cast as, you're probably the first person to ever hear this and whoever's listening is, a, you know, but let's talk about it. Um, Thank you. Thank I you. Remember, yes. Please do. I remember being, I remember being cast as um, Scotty Moore in Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's Elvis's first lead guitarist. You know, mm-hmm. They've got the Sun Studios era. Like I, had, I remember I had a book about rock and roll and Scotty Moore wrote the pre- preface. Like he was an idol to me. Yeah. And to be able to step in his shoes and play that level of guitar and play it live and play it well as a muso. Yeah. It was a dream come true. Um, and the production was going to work out totally okay. It was going to be like that two weeks off Miss Fisher season two down in yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. And then COVID hit, Tom Hanks got crook. I remember our last rehearsal day, I was literally having lunch across the table with Tom Hanks mm. and talking about his film that he recently wrote and starred in about the Greyhound, yes. about the boat. Yeah. Right. Awesome. We're chatting about writing and I'm writing my own stuff now. And, mm. and I'm like, how do you move it? And how do you do that thing of managing your writing and acting in it. He's like beautiful conversations with this amazing man and amazing creative journeys over two and a half months with Baz and his musical team. And I'll forever hold that dearly to my heart. But then Tom unfortunately got sick. Production yeah. got put on hold. The world got put on hold. Yeah. We fought for ages to figure out what was happening. I went down to Melbourne because we thought that Miss Fisher was going to get off the ground. Melbourne got locked down. I got stuck in Melbourne 
they couldn't get back to WA because McGowan had put, you know, the, the lockdowns in mm. finally kind of got back to Sydney and stayed in my mate's fishing shack in three hours North of Sydney for like months. And then finally got to Perth and the timing was going to conflict with Elvis and um, Miss Fisher. And yeah. I had to make a decision about one or the other. Right. Like it was two or three weeks overlapping and no one could change. And yeah. you're getting phone calls for, and emails from Baz and you're like, <laughs> my God, man, like walk away from your dream role or, or, or uh, understand that you will be on set every day working on script yeah. in front of a camera, leading a show, having heaps of camera time and learning mm. what that is. Mm. You wanted to do this second season for the, for the point of um, playing a character over more than a limited series or a movie, which is all yeah. I'd ever done. Yeah. Um, and, and ultimately if you walk away from that show, they've got to rewrite all these episodes. And also like, it might like, what would happen if you walked away? Yeah. And would, you know, the whole entirety of that production fall apart and would 250 people, which is how many people get employed by TV series, even more. Yeah. Would they risk unemployment because of a single decision that you made? And I would really thought about it. And I was like, well, Baz Luhrmann's famous for his cutting. Yes. Edits. (laughs) Yeah. And editing people completely out of movies, man. Like, yeah. And I love him to death. I, I, you know, I, I want to, be able to have another phone call with him and be like, thank you for the opportunity and for the learning experience because yeah. it was wonderful. Yeah. And, um, it was a shame it never worked out, but I made the decision based upon the fact that I would have more time on my feet in front of a camera in a studio, working with actors and writers and different directors. And then I would potentially sitting on a huge scale film Yeah where my experience for two and a half months had been like sitting in a trailer until someone knocks on your door and then goes, we need you for five minutes and you yeah, run on and yeah. you're there for two and then you leave and you're like, mm-hmm. wait, am I, am I acting? What's going on? <laughs> and, and you know, like when, when you were there with Baz, it like his, his read throughs are everything that people talk about mm-hmm. and you and McGregor talks about it on his SAG after chat and they're like mini theater readings you yeah know, people get yeah. up and they sing <laughs> and you stand up into the scenes and mm. there's a band there and the music production is there and it's so magical and everything yeah. is real and tangible yeah. and you know i'd come to set and i'd be playing a song that wasn't necessarily in the film mm. that is a well-known kind of early elvis hit and baz would be like why are you playing that like that's not in the movie is it i'm like no i just i'm trying to learn all of scotty moore's catalog so that yeah. i can if something happens i've always got it yeah and then you'd be on the sound studio, like the sound stage, kind of playing the thing. And I'd do the same with Adam Dunn, who went on to play Billy Black in the film and, and Terra Pye, who went on to play the drummer and the, like, you know, plays drums with the Whitlams. Like, so talented. Yeah. Um, and Baz would just yell out, now play this. <laughs> and it was from the day before. And the whole musical team would be like, what? Like, <laughs> what do you mean play that song? No one's rehearsed that song. And I just yell out at Adam like, one, two, three. And we'd be into it. <laughs> and the team would be like, what? And it was this beautiful thing of chaos the same yeah. as greg mclean like yes this yeah racing of chaos and creative mm. chaos um mm. but 
I mean, I'll never stop thinking about that decision for the rest of my life. No, no, uh, yeah, don't, yeah, don't let it uh, get you down too much. You, you explained it absolutely beautiful. Then, um, no, I hope it makes sense uh, to people listening. Uh, uh, like, no, you it really what? does. <laughs> you, you made a lot of sense, and you explained it so well. A part of me wants to scream at you because Baz is one of my favourite filmmakers. And, and oh I'm man, thinking, are I, you are you mad? But no, you you made man, the right decision, I, and the way you explained it, I mean, it it could have meant people's jobs and. Uh, yeah, you've got yeah. this beautiful TV show, Mrs. Fisher's. That that's excellent. Yeah, and life is so long. I mean, one of my things is that like what is meant for you won't go past you. And this role was somebody else's, and then for some reason it never worked out for him. Mm. And I was up a crane in Caratha at Dampier Salt and got a phone call from my agents going, "Can you be in Brisbane tomorrow? Oh, yeah. and P.S. Can you learn these three songs that yeah. aren't recorded or aren't taped anywhere? But here's the file." <laughs> I'm like, sure. Um, and you spend a day in a soundstage with this beautiful music team just throwing stuff at the wall and yeah. then it's yours and and then again it's not. And so mm. it's kind of this great learning curve of like in our creative life and for anyone like just just be there for the thing at the moment when you can. It doesn't have yes. to be all the time because they're not going to last forever. Just yeah. just serve the thing for the amount of time that you have to give to it. Like yeah. I, I in my heart of hearts believe and I know that I will be working. I'll be able to work with Baz again. And, you know, I'll be able to sit in the room with Catherine Martin and be really specific about our costumes and, Mm -hmm. and these beautiful things that they were just like so detailed and and honest and lovely about. But in saying that my chops as an actor, who's been able to work with four different directors on eight episodes of TV Mm -hmm. and lead that series alongside Jerry, who really leads that series. Um, is the best gift in the world. Um, and to and to make, you know, that stuff really fun, excitable, watchable, fresh, uh, when, when you're shooting out of sequence and some scenes just sound exactly the same to the crew, but you're making them laugh. You're giving yes. them the best day of their life. So yeah. Yeah. that to me was a really important lesson as a leading man rather than being, um, you know, a, a really important piece, but a piece in a very big puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got two more things that I want to talk to you about uh, um, now for our listeners out there listen up here because um, there's this side of your acting and film work that many people probably aren't aware of and that's these two incredible short films that you've made oh. uh, one of them's called Stranger and the other one is The Hunted uh, yeah. th- this is two shocking films that are quite disturbing if I'm honest um, yeah. and it really is a different side to your acting uh, you're, you play two horrific characters in both of these films uh, you really yeah. do take your, your acting to another level here um, so I want to start with Stranger uh, which was directed by Peter Skinner from a story by both yourself and Peter how keen mm. were you to explore and exhibit this much much darker side to your acting ability um, yeah that was probably the main reason behind me wanting to do it and, and like at the end of the day we self-funded that thing right. um, and I yeah we, we self-funded that I was locations manager casting director initial costume designer, co-writer with Peter. Like it's based on a poem by Sam Shepard from a book called Hawk Moon. Right, which is, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, man. So he's got this beautiful oh. poem called Stranger, which is only about eight lines. Yes. Um, and it's about him being very uncomfortable in his own skin. Mm. Um, and it's the book Hawk Moon is, is great. It's a collection of short stories and poems. And I'm working on my own book of um, short stories at the moment too and going to record that 
as an audiobook in a couple of weeks. Um, but all inspired by him and Samuel Beckett and Chekhov's short stories and stuff. But Stranger was this chance where after Peter, after Deadline, um, I was kind of getting cast or all my readings were going for was like this one-sided thing, you know, like yeah. you did it well, so therefore do it again. Yes, yeah. Um, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make, same as people like Ethan Hawke, um, Josh Brolin, um, people that I really admire, they they made their own stuff, especially mm. Ethan Hawke. Mm. Um, and they did it in a way where they challenged their own status quo, same mm. as Daniel, uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Um, yeah. And so for me, it was this thing of, I, I want to showcase what I'm capable of, but I also want to tell a story that excites me and excited Peter and will excite the people that we work with. Mm. And I remember working with a, a bunch of people that I worked with before, like um, makeup artists and um, then friends who helped design it and, and light it and stuff. And they're like, so you're, who's playing this sunny guy? I'm like, I am. They're like, you are. Oh, <laughs> uh, Okay cool and and there's part of me that all of those moments of, of it being based in a mining town where nobody knows your name and, and nobody knows who you are and you can come and go and as do as you please is how i grew up mm. it's my wake in fright it's yes. the thing of playing at pubs when i was 15 16 and walking out and i'd looked at somebody's girlfriend the wrong way or mm. played a song and smiled at her halfway through and someone was waiting at my car at like one o'clock in the morning wow and it's those experiences and, and working with people in the mines where, you know, someone would get a spark down their shirt. So they'd rip their shirt off mm. and their back would be pockmarked with all these scars. You're like, what's that? And he's like, Oh, I was stabbed 30 times. No oh, shit. Yeah. What? Like, yeah, I used to, I used to, you know, I used to be involved with bad people and that's why I'm up here and doing this lifestyle. It's like, Whoa. So there was a part of me that had like, I wanted to tap into to that life experience yeah and to those people that i had kind of been around not that any of them were murderers um <laughs> uh, but 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 that that thing in that poetic nature of cinema and that uh, european kind of road movie um what's his name i'm not herzog Werner, who made paris texas yes um, <laughs> oh god yeah he died recently right like, did he die? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Mm. Um, and Sam Shepard wrote that and then he he made it. And we wanted to make something like that, where it was a Western script made different, you know. Yes. And I remember yeah. watching edits with Peter and um, Peter's a wonderful filmmaker. Lost Boy mm. has just come out and, you know, picked up best short film at St. Kilda Film Fest. And yeah. he's now working with Sheesby, Michael Sheesby on their own feature film. And unfortunately, we fell out over the space of COVID because of my own stupid arrogance. Um, but I'm hoping that one day we can solve those things with mm. maturity and, you know, my hindsight um, be because I love working with him and, and because he challenged me on so many things and, you know, watching the edit with him, I remember going, mate, you need to make it shorter. We physically can't enter this into film festivals because no, no, of the it's, length. it's very hard to get into festivals. It's like 19 of, minutes. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. it's, it's a short film. It's yeah. 19 minutes. Yeah. And him saying to me, look, I, I can't make it any shorter. Like there yeah. are shots that I, I have to hold on that shot. Yeah. Otherwise, why am I making the film? Yeah. Which is why he deserves having a film by Peter Skinner. Um, yes. Yes. Which is yeah. what I kind of arrogantly was like, why is that there? Because 
in my eyes, when you make stuff, and especially because we self-funded it and I did so much work putting it all together outside of just acting and the mm. writing and the development of the character and mm. working on scenes and getting actors in and the crews that at the end of the day, uh, film is a director and cinematography's medium. Yeah. Like theater is the actor's medium. Yes, yes, yes. And so I've got to, you know, respect that and acknowledge that, which I have now. But Well, I'm... Um, I'm- I am curious to know then about uh, Georgie Parker's scene because she is yeah. so good in this scene. She's she's incredible, and this is a completely different role for Georgie because you know she she plays quite a serious character, worlds away from a country practice and all saints and home and away and things oh, like that. Yeah, um, tell us about working with Georgie, and now I'm curious to know: is that one of the scenes you wanted to get rid of? No, no, no? way, shape, or form okay. did I want to get rid of that. Right, no, no. The right. only thing I was kind of pushing to cut were moments where. In my eyes, I was like, there's nothing in this moment. Like, right. why are we holding on this scene? Okay. It's like, why are we, this, it's just a shot. And he's like, that's the point. Yeah. You know, and and now with much more age, you're like, oh, yeah, that is the point. You know, yes. that's why you watch European <laughs> cinema and French cinema and you go, it's a sequence of images to make you feel a certain way or make yes. you question. Yeah. That's the point of cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, Joel, you idiot. So, um, <laughs> There's, you know, that's all I wanted to to kind of move along was mm. pace because all mm. I'd ever done was Australian TV and film where it was pacey. You know? Yes, very fast paced. Yeah. yeah. To move yeah. along. Yeah. Um, and this was different, but Georgie was beautiful. And I remember uh, uh, stuff I can't really speak because it's Georgie's, but yeah. um, Georgie and I are repped by the same people. And I remember uh-huh. thinking about who can I get in for this because I was doing all the casting and and wanted to ask a couple of people and I thought about a few and I was like, no, that seems token-esque and a little, you know, strange, but, oh, hang on. What if I get Georgie in and ask her because it's the same chance for me to do what I'm doing for her, you know, mm. and it's just play outside type. And I'm, and then that week, coincidentally, I went to a theater show at Darlinghurst theater company and she was in it. Right. And she was, she was amazing. She was so good. And I went up to her afterwards and was like, hey, George, she's like, oh, my God, Joel, how are you? I've been wanting to meet you for ages. Um, I loved <laughs> Peter. I love these things. And I was like, oh, oh, thanks. Big red rosy cheeks. And I kind of put her on the spot and said kindly, would you ever consider working with me on something yeah. that I that we're kind of writing and producing? She was like, in a heartbeat. And gave me her email address. And I went about it formally regardless and, and CC'd in agents and stuff and but from the get-go, she was in it and she wanted to be a part of it. And, you know, we um, we tried to pay whatever we could in terms of paying people. And Georgie was like, I don't need it. I don't want it. Let's go. Oh, wow. Wow. We, we shot everything in a, we shot everything in, was it a day and a half? So we, we got in early at the old Fitz theater and that's the pub. The pub is the old Fitz in Kings near Kings cross. Yep. And we blocked everything out at about three, four o'clock in the morning. And we filmed the nighttime scene first thing in the morning and had a bunch of extras come in and help out. And a few really lovely mates and Georgia Wilkinson Derrams, who is from the band body type and who is a gun. I just worked with her on the Fremantle Shakespeare tour again. And she's so good. Yeah. Um, And, and Jack Ellis. And um, so we did that and then we packed up and moved to the hotel and I had, convinced the owners of the thoroughbred motel 
near the Randwick Racecourse, you turn right, left off of Anzac Parade, um, to give us two rooms really cheaply. And we had one room which was set up for makeup, costume, and the likes. And it was then that would be like the room that May was changing over. It was the opposite room. Yep. And then when we went inside to do the other room, we moved everything into the other space. Right. So we only had, I think we did it all sincerely in a day. Wow. A day and maybe a couple of hours doing pickups. But That's yeah. amazing to hear. It's such an impactful film. And I don't want to take so any fast. I don't want to take anything away from Peter's work here because it, it's incredible. His his directing yeah. is really good and I I can't wait to see him do more. But you Same. and you yourself and Georgie really make this film. You you're both so good in it. And actually I just want to tell listeners now that uh, if you do want to see both of these short films, uh, Stranger and The Hunted, uh, go to Joel's website and you can watch them both from there. Uh, I highly yeah. recommend them. And especially if you want to see a different side to Joel that, that you know, you might not be used to. Yeah, well, and that's The Hunted. Like The Hunted was one of my favourite experiences because mm. of this chance and and because of the message inside of the film. And Ben Jay, who is now about to do, I think, his first feature mm. in New Zealand, is so damn talented and has shot commercials and, and a huge, um, you know, budget things for a very long time as a photographer and a director. Um, and so he's got this beautiful artistic mind and he's all, he's all consumed by the image. And um, we had some beautiful conversations. I was living in LA at the time in Las Vegas and I got a phone call from Renee Munro asking me if I would like to read a script and have a conversation about it. And I read it and was like, Oh, I don't know if, if I'd be right. Like, do you want someone who's just, mean and cruel like you want someone who's just from the get-go you kind of see it she's like i think that's the point is that it's his nature the cruel nature of this man is hidden um and i think you'd smash it and so she backed me all the way and i had these beautiful chats with ben jay about the character and the histories we wanted to create and doing the work and getting to new zealand we filmed it in queenstown at the back of the queenstown hills like the the mountains there Mm. and this tiny hut and it was so good um (laughs) So cold. That water was so cold. <laughs> it's oh, a different freezing. kind of cold over there, isn't it? Yeah, man. And um, like Aaron, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, but Furagia, um, I think, is a beautifully talented guy and is, and is you know crushing so many wonderful projects at the moment too and, and is developing his own 3D worlds. But mm. um, the, the chance to, to do something like that that is really dark and explores a different part of you is so dark. Mm. Um, it, it asks a lot of you. And, and what's more is that because you're playing against your type, you have greater um, abilities to kind of fall into it. You know, it's, mm. it's almost harder playing your type. For mm. me, it's always easier playing against myself mm. because there's different rhythms that I can instinctively go to and, and, and different things that, or examples of people that I know upset me and live inside their skin for a moment. But, How do you think you'd go maintaining that uh, for a feature film? Oh, I'd love it. Yeah. I'd love it. I mean, <laughs> the, we were talking about it before. My, my, my girlfriend is also an actress and we were talking about, you know, there's this great scene now in, in the new Moon Knight series with Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac, like mm-hmm. two favourite actors. 
and there was a scene where he was saying summon the suit you know like i got a his that his superhero character wears yeah, yeah. I'm like that's like acting like yeah. summon the suit every yeah. day you wake up and you put on the thing you get home you take it off so you yes, can live your life yes, yes um and be you you know i remember mm. finishing playing peter and I, apparently i had i danced and sang in my dreams for like months after and would surf and my hands were peter's hands they weren't me like i was doing all these weird things i was like what is going on mm. um but that's that's i mean to do those things are gifts and, and to to work where you're working with an actress who totally trusts you and you know the sex scenes in that film and the action scenes in those films are like so heightened like some of the most heightened stuff that i've ever done yes yeah it's um, a great word to describe it actually heightened yeah yeah like they're very visceral and mm. that was the point of the film and um, I, I'd love to do something that is visceral, you know, mm. that is the lighthouse, that is the Northman, that is that sense of um, we, we work so hard as actors to kind of prepare ourselves and be Ferraris that are mm. waiting in the shed to be <laughs> let out at the F1 track. And, yes, yes. You know, I, I say it all the time. I'm like, um, I want to be a Ferrari that's driven like a Ferrari by a mm. director mm. and by a project. I don't mm. want to be a little scooter. Like I, I want to be doing the, the work that, same as H is for happiness that, mm. you know, it's visceral in one sense. It, it really touches your soul. Mm. Um, but I want to also be doing the things that, you know, a film teaches you lessons. It yes. shows you <laughs> the, the deeper and darker parts of yourselves and others. And yeah. I, I want to be, I want to, you know, I want to be diving into all of them. Yeah. Um, uh, I've got one more thing that I want to talk to you about. Uh, our listeners obviously can't see this, but uh, I am looking at a video of Joel and the room has gone from being very light to just a completely dark space. Very now. dark. It's yeah. dark. And it's I can't be bothered to turn on the light because I'm loving this chat. I'm it's like, interesting oh. that we were talking about your darker roles as the room got darker. It's, it's <laughs> beautiful to watch, actually. Um, but I do want to talk to you about one last thing before we wrap this up. It was interesting at the beginning of this conversation, you said that you were kind of in a re you felt like you were in a reboot phase of your career uh, can you mm. elaborate on that a little bit more and and tell us you know maybe some things you've got coming up or, or where you want to go yeah and and thanks for the chance to do so i think it's it's not often that i mean i don't know if it's a thing or or if that's just self-perception but whether or not actors have this acknowledgement of um whether if if we say it in the industry or in an entertainment reporting thing that people go, wait, what? He doubts himself. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, whether or not that's strange. And I don't doubt myself, but after COVID hit, I mean, we had so much forced time off and yes. we couldn't do anything. And you had this, well, I personally had this big questioning of like, is it important? Like, is what I do important? And if we don't get any support and we're not, kind of seen as essential and everybody else in Australia, not everybody else, but you know, the majority of Australians are getting support and being cared for. But what we do as storytellers and back in the day was heralded as, you know, the pinnacle of a society. We were mm. the cornerstone. Mm. Um, and at least we had a place. And in that moment we didn't. And you're seeing people that you love and admire like crumbling and, walking away from the industry and so many musicians and artists and actors being like, it's not worth it. I'm going to do something else. And so I went through that and was like, do I want to do this? Is it, is it worth my life? You know, like I could, 
I could easily go back to uni or TAFE or pick up a trade or do whatever and, and earn a living mm. and, and do that. But every time I, you know, move the dial anywhere but acting, it, it hurt. And, and I knew that, you know, Winston Churchill has this beautiful quote where um, everyone's heard it, but if you're going through hell, keep going. Mm. Um, and so I did. And inside of that space, I started to write feverishly you know i wrote short stories that turned into long form allegories to myself to kind of soothe little anxious bumps and moments that i was experiencing and i was really honest with myself and it was this great self it was this great purge of self expression that i hadn't necessarily done because i'd been working or on the move and doing other things for other people that I hadn't necessarily been able to sit and go, nobody needs to give you permission to be an artist. Nobody needs to cast you in a film. Nobody needs to ask you to come to a film festival, do something to be an artist, mate. Like you do that. Yeah. I was like, Oh, wow. Like these moments of just, dude, that's your responsibility. And so I wrote music and it poured out of me and uh, I wrote these short stories and no one, necessarily saw them and i made small instagram lives so that i could still connect to people and and talk to others who were going through bad times and and what have you but in in that one year and a half or whatever that it was and yes i had the great opportunity to work on miss fishes and i started to recalculate what it was that i wanted mm. and what it was that i deemed to be a successful acting career and and in the same way that we're speaking about music before, like if you're working on a script, if you are performing on a stage, it doesn't matter where it is, like you are a performing actor. That is success. And that is learning. And that is an expression. So I've been seeking opportunities that are, you know, a bit left of field potentially. And people were like, might say, well, you know, why are you doing that? And what's kind of in it for you? Shouldn't you be saving yourself in your calendar for bigger opportunities? I'm like, yeah, but if I save myself for an opportunity that never comes up, like, am I an actor yeah. or am I just being like really self-obsessed? <laughs> so I, I went about contacting and growing my networks and, and convincing people that I, I was actually really keen about getting into a room with a group of young actors and going on a tour and performing Shakespeare in the park and playing yeah. a midnight summer's dream. And I'd never done Shakespeare before. Yeah. Uh, and it was such a gift. And out of that has come a wonderful opportunity to work with Fremantle Theatre Company and put on my first ever um, show, like my own writing and with music and productions. And I'll be testing that out at the Town Hall in Albany in late June on the 24th of June, um, you know, putting that up for the very first time and stepping in to the studio uh, later this month to record my first audiobook and working with a dear friend, Ali Mansell on the artwork for the, for the actual physical book and building a concept album uh, with Joel Quartermain and a, and a few others where, you know, it, it's very, I don't want to talk about because just in case I have this idea, sorry, <laughs> talking a lot, but there is this thing that like, if you don't serve an idea, the idea will find somebody else to serve yes. it. Yeah, yeah. And so if I share it, they might it might find somebody else as well. Yes, that's um, fair but yeah. That's my reboot, man. It, it's about, going fearlessly into the places where, where I would otherwise have let other people explore for me and I'd just be the actor. And now it's about, yeah, I can do that for other people, but I can also do that for myself. And, and that's what will keep the home fires burning 
when work is quiet. Mm. And if that work wants me, it will find me. And meanwhile, I'll be creating stories and and doing what I do best, and that's performing. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm really really grateful. And like performing with Black Swan Theatre Company, the Glass Menagerie in in August mm. uh, with Mandy Macchiani. I always pronounce her name wrong. Um, and and working with Claire in what will be her last season with Black Swan. Yeah. Um, like at the at his majesty's to a 12,000 or 1200 seat theater what <laughs> someone say terrifying like those things like that is a huge experience and i yeah. cannot wait for that um yeah. and then working on a short film uh raising thunder earlier this year with sandbox productions and caleb mckenna and a younger actress and yeah playing a uh, that, father. One's, that one's uh produced by one of my good friends actually jasmine levis uh, yes yeah she's spoken jasmine's a, lot about a this, gun but, yeah yeah, yeah, and and doing experiences like that where you get asked and you just go, yeah, cool, why not? Like, yeah. not precious about experiences or, or or saying yes or no anymore, and mm. and knowing that if there's something in the project that you can connect to, and you know, Caleb is that's a really personal story yes. story for Caleb, mm. Mm. and so that is that thing I was talking about. You can you can see him in it, and yeah. so therefore, yeah. I kind of on an empathetic human being, I I want to connect to that and mm. try to mm. serve it. Um, yes. yeah. so I'm, I'm learning a lot about myself and I'm really looking forward to whatever happens next. And yeah. if we get one of those opportunities that is that visceral thing, like I think more than ever um, before, I'm, I'm really prepared to, to do my, my best unfiltered and unconscious work, which I'm really excited about. Um, Joel, this has been an absolute pleasure to be chatting with you and I can't thank you enough for sharing these wonderful stories with us. I feel privileged to have heard some of those stories. So thank you very much for taking the time to join the Cinema Australia podcast. It's been a no, great chat. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm sorry if I uh, sorry if I kind of went on, but if anybody's listening and, and hears references that are like they want to um, check in about it or whatever, just just message me on Instagram or, or something and hit me up because if I spoke too quickly or I referenced it, person film or book or whatever and you want to know more just um just let me know because because this these are conversations wonderful thank you very much joel really appreciate it thanks for having me mate be well thank you for listening to the cinema australia podcast you can keep up to date with all the latest australian film news reviews features and interviews at cinemaaustralia.com.au